Well, good morning, everyone. How is everyone doing today? Oh, let me try that again. How is everyone doing today? Fantastic. Then let's talk about cost of living in BC. <laughs> I tricked you. I'm actually going to go there. So in the last several years, uh, housing costs here in BC have just gone through the roof, right? Uh, if you remember 2016, all of a sudden it shot up and houses going for, you know, 100,000 over asking, bidding wars, people not even looking at homes or doing inspections because you just had to buy a house like that. Uh, a lot of that has continued, even though the market has just recently cooled down a little bit, but it's a little crazy out there. I don't know if, if you have any friends like this, but we know people who have moved out of province just so that they could um, buy something a little bit more affordable, and so they've headed either to Alberta or the prairies. Actually, no, not to the prairies. People still aren't that desperate, but have headed to Alberta <laughs> and bought a house there instead. Or uh, inflation is on the rise like almost never before. If you go to Canadian government website, you'd find that uh, from May of 2021 to May of this year, just a couple months ago, uh, inflation rate has gone up 7.7%. Uh, that's the greatest increase apparently since 1983, uh, so almost 40 years. Um, and this rate of inflation has affected all sorts of costs, uh, but particularly cost of essentials like groceries, right? With something like the cost of oil going up 30%. Um, it's scary. But at least the price of gas has come down, right? Yeah. 198 out there? <laughs> do you cry or do you laugh? It's hard to know some days. Uh, back in 1978, gas had gone up significantly over the past four years, from 1974 to 78, and so CBC did a news article, and they were just, uh, just shocked at how the price of gas was 92 cents a gallon, 20 cents a liter. Wouldn't that be nice? Ten times less than what we're paying today. Um, why do I start with this encouraging note of cost of living? Well, this morning we're going to take a look, as you just heard, uh, at a text from 1 Kings chapter 17, in which we see the Lord provide for the prophet Elijah and for a widow and her son in some absolutely miraculous ways. And even though they were in a far worse place financially than, than any of us are, God was able to provide for them. And so the point that I want to make from our text this morning is that God alone is powerfully able to provide for all of our needs, uh, both in this life and in the life to come. And so before we dive in, I want to pray for us. And so would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, it is truly an honor to, to gather together uh, in your presence, Jesus, to, to praise your name, to lift you higher, uh, to spend time under your word, and to, um, to learn about uh, our condition and, and to learn more about who you are. And so, 
I pray that uh, during the next 30 to 40 minutes that you would speak to us by your spirit, Lord, uh, that you would challenge us in, in ways and areas that we need to be conformed into your image, Lord Jesus, um, and that you would also encourage us and comfort us in the areas in which we need challenge. We love you, Jesus, and we commit this time to you in your name. Amen. So I've got two basic points for us this morning. Uh, the first one is just basically that God gives food. So last weekend, we started our series called The Book of Eli, taking a look at different stories in the, book, in the life of Elijah. Uh, we start out 1 Kings 17, verse 1. This is the first time that we're introduced to Elijah. And right off the bat, we have Elijah making this bold pronouncement to King Ahab of Israel, who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Elijah declares this great famine. Uh, in fact, this famine is going to be so great that not only will there not be rain, there won't even be dew on the ground. And so if you remember from last weekend, the Lord then instructs Elijah to travel to the brook of Cherith, where he is supernaturally fed not by uh, dash door deliveries, but by ravens, right? Bringing him meat and bread twice a day, and he's got the brook there. But then the brook dries up, right? The famine starts to have its effect, and Elijah no longer has water for his sustenance. And so it's at this point that the Lord sends Elijah to Zarephath. Now, Zarephath is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's just above the city of Tyre, and it's in the territory of Zidon. So this is essentially enemy territory that the Lord is sending Elijah to. In this land, um, God, the, the Lord Yahweh was not viewed as, as God, but um, the Lord, the, the false god Baal was the god that was worshipped in that area. And Elijah sent specifically to find a widow. Now, if you were Elijah, I wonder what you might think at this point. Like, like Lord, what... Where are you going to provide? How are you going to provide? Why couldn't I have just stayed here? Like the meat, the bread, this was good. This was working. But now you're sending me into enemy territory to be fed by a widow, nonetheless? And so he's sent to this widow, which widows would have been among the, the poorest of the poor, and he travels to Zarephath, he finds her at the gate of the city, and he finds this widow gathering sticks. Now the gathering sticks part, this would have been an activity that, just that, the poorest of the poor would have done, both to provide fuel, to cook food, and to provide heat for themselves in their homes. And so Elijah proceeds to ask this widow for a drink of water. Now, this may have been a tall task, Remember, we're in a severe famine, and yet the widow, obligingly, she departs to go grab this glass of water. But then Elijah has to up the ante and ask for one more thing. Would you bring me just a morsel of bread, a small cake, just a mouthful? And this is the straw that just breaks the camel's back. And the widow, she breaks down and she discloses to Elijah, you know, 
I'm only gathering sticks to go and cook one last meal for my son and myself that we might die after this. We have nothing. And Elijah proceeds to briefly comfort her at the beginning of verse 13. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. Did, did we just read that right? Elijah comforts her with the three words, do not fear. But then he goes on to say, no, you go make that cake with that last little bit of flour and that last little bit of oil, and you bring it to me. I know you and your son are about to die, but I want you to bring me that cake first. Seems selfish. Like, does the Lord not teach these prophets some manners before he sends them out? But Elijah, we read, follows up that request with a, with a bold proclamation in verse 14. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Elijah reassures this widow, essentially. It says, widow, this next meal, it won't be your last. And actually, in the, the weeks and the months to come, you are going to witness the Lord's supernatural provision and that those flasks, and that flask and that jar, they won't run empty. And sure enough, that is exactly what happens. And the Lord fulfills his word as Elijah had declared it. So tremendous first part of our story this morning. And from it, I want to make two observations. First of all, through this exchange between Elijah and the widow, we discover that God's provision may involve us taking a step of faith. One of the things that sticks out to me in this first part of our story is Elijah's treatment of the widow. He asks for the, this morsel of bread, just a small amount, and then this widow breaks down before him and discloses, you know, we've got nothing. This is my last supper for myself and my son, and we're, we're preparing to die. And yet despite that, Elijah still asks, no, you go make that, that cake just like you're planning on it, but bring it to me first. And then afterwards, then you go and make bread for yourself and for your son. Essentially what Elijah is doing here is asking her to take a leap of faith and provide first for him and then see as he declares afterwards that the Lord is actually going to be the one providing for her and for her son for some time to come. So God's provision often comes in response to our obedience. Now, this is not always the case, right? Uh, an awful example on how this, this goes wrong is the Word of Faith movement, um, where you can hear of preachers actually around the world that will, will call for people to, to make financial donations 
And in return, God will bless them, right? With raises or promotions or an equal or greater amount of money. This is not what our text is, is teaching here, but rather that sometimes we're called to step out in obedience because God wants to grow our trust in him. And then in response, he will supply for us. A second point that we learned from our text here this morning is that God is able to powerfully provide for our needs regardless of our circumstances. Over and over again so far in 1 Kings 17, God is essentially stacking the odds against himself. So he brings on this, this famine that is, is so severe, there's not rain, there's not dew, and yet he provides for Elijah, right? Uh, as, as Eric shared uh, last week, even better than most people would eat, eating meat twice a day. And then eventually the brook of Cherith dries up and Elijah's presupposition may have been, well, let me just follow the brook down to the Jordan. The Jordan would still have been running at that point. Cherith ran into it, into it. God, you can continue providing for me here. And yet the Lord at that point sends him all the way into enemy territory, Sidon, Zarephath, where he's not sent to some powerful political leader. He's not sent to a, you know, a, a well-off merchant be sent to a widow who, who she herself has nothing left. And yet it's, it's there in the case of, in the, in the most unlikely case where God provides faithfully, not just for him, but for the widow and for her son. <clears throat> God is able to powerfully provide for all of our needs, regardless of our circumstances. The life of George Mueller is a powerful testimony to this fact. So George Mueller is <clears throat> from Europe, was born in Prussia some 200 years ago in 1805. Didn't grow up in a Christian family, eventually got into drinking and gambling. But a little later in life, as he went to university, he came to know the Lord and got saved. A little later, he moved to England, to the town of Bristol, and married his wife Mary. And as George and Mary lived in Bristol, their hearts and their eyes began to be open to the needs <clears throat> of the orphans, many orphans that surrounded them there in England. And so George and Mary decided that they were going to open an orphanage to care for these orphans. But their orphanage was gonna be a little bit different than any other orphanage of the day. You see, they decided at the forefront that they were never going to ask for any sort of monetary support. In fact, they were going to rely only on the Lord in prayer. And so their mission with this orphanage became twofold, actually. One, to care for the needs of the orphans. And secondly, to demonstrate that God was capable of providing all of their needs by answering prayer. And so they started this orphanage with one home. Eventually that grew to five different orphanages which could house uh, 2,000 children at one time. And they saw story after story, evidence after evidence of God's provision for them. One well-documented time is when 
the one particular house had completely ran out of food. And George had been praying for God's provision and in faith had hundreds of children seat themselves at their tables for breakfast that morning. They set their plates, their utensils, their cups, and they prayed and asked God for their daily bread. George, all the while knowing, we've got nothing. And then right after they finished their prayer, a knock on the door. It was the baker who had just felt led to bake enough fresh bread for all of the children in the orphanage for that morning. And right after he delivered that bread, it was the milkman. His carriage had coincidentally broken down right in front of the orphanage that morning and the Lord had provided breakfast for all of those kids. Look, church, our God has not changed. He's still the same God of Elijah from some 2,600 years ago. Still the same God that supplied for George and those orphans some 200 years ago. He is faithful. I realize in this room we might be facing all sorts of financial struggles, maybe trying to make ends meet, maybe not knowing how your housing um, situation is going to work out or how are you going to afford gas next month. And yet God is so much bigger than all of our needs. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, after teaching about how no person can serve both the God of mammon, the God of money, and the Lord, he goes on to, to challenge his followers to trust in him with the following words. Matthew 6, verses 25 to 27. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Jumping down to verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Jesus' encouragement is, it's so clear and yet, So challenging to take him at his word, right? And yet, true. God feeds the birds of the air. He clothes the fields with flowers. And he cares for you and I far more than the birds or the fields. How much more can we trust God who is able to provide for us in any and every situation? Second point uh, this morning is that God not only gives food, but 
God gives life. I want to jump into our second section here in 1 Kings 17. So we don't know how long Elijah spends with this widow. The, the total span of the famine is three and a half years. Was he with the widow for months, a couple years maybe? Regardless, what we do know is that after spending some time with the widow, her son grows ill and eventually dies. And when this happened, the widow comes to Elijah the bold accusation, verse 18. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Now remember just in our previous story that when Elijah came to the widow, he asked her to take a gamble, right? What she thought was her and her son's last meal, she provided for Elijah, essentially putting a, a stranger, a foreigner, before the very life of her son. But now Elijah, who had been providing for her by God's hand, had now betrayed her and allowed her son to die. Elijah responds by... <clears throat> taking the boy in his arms, and he carries him upstairs to the guest bedroom where he's been staying for some time. He lays him on the bed, and then he, in turn, cries out and actually accuses the Lord of causing the boy's death. Verse 20. O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? We then see Elijah do something both unprompted and unprecedented. See, God had not specifically asked Elijah to do this, and we've never actually seen this recorded in Scripture up to this point. But nevertheless, Elijah proceeds to lay down on the child, not once, not twice, but three times, interceding for the boy's life. If we think about this, it's a little weird. I'm sure Elijah felt pretty uncomfortable doing this, and yet this is how passionate he is about caring for this boy, about caring for the widow. And the crazy thing is, it works. As he prays, something miraculous happens. Verse 22, the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. See, this is actually fascinating because up until this point, we see this pattern of obedience. So Elijah obediently goes to the brook of Cherith then he obediently goes to Zarephath in Sidon. He gives instructions to the widow and the widow you know, obediently goes and makes Elijah this cake first. But now we see Elijah bring this request before God and God listens to Elijah and restores the life of the widow's son. Elijah brings down the boy now who was once dead, now is alive, and, and the widow's 
tears of sorrow turn into tears of joy as she embraces her son alive again. And as a result, the widow acknowledges that Elijah truly is a prophet sent from God. One thing we learned from this part of our text this morning is that God provides in response to bold prayers. Now, this is not an exclusive thing. In fact, how many of you had God answer unspoken prayers? (laughs) You know, where we know we're called to rely on God for every single one of our needs, and yet I've had it in my life where time and time again, oh, you have this this epiphany, God, you provided for this, and and I, I never even asked you for this. Thank you. Like that is the the good kind of heavenly father that we serve. And yet this story and other places in scripture, they also tell us that there are times when God calls us to pray boldly, to persevere in prayer, and to come, perhaps even pray uncomfortably and come before him in prayer. James, the brother of Jesus wrote hundreds of years after these events about the power of prayer, commenting on the life of Elijah. He wrote in James 5, 16 to 18, starting halfway through 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. He gives an example. Elijah was a man with the nature just like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah's seen powerful answers to prayer, both in the rain stopping, then later on in the next chapter, the rain returning. Now he sees it in this in this boy's life returning, but But notice in our text that Elijah doesn't just come before the widow and say, oh, well, let's say a quick prayer. Yahweh, would would you please restore Johnny's life? Amen. It's, It's a little bit more challenging than that, right? Elijah takes the boy from the widow, carries him upstairs, actually lays on him physically three times. And through that bold perseverance, God provides this miracle and responds to his prayer. How many of you have ever demonstrated boldness in prayer like Elijah? I think we're, our prayer lives are often more simple, right? A little bit more down to earth. We don't want to be weird, right? Don't want to be known as those Christians. Heaven forbid we get uncomfortable. God does certainly not want that of us. But that's actually not what a scripture like this would point us to. Or a scripture like Luke 11, where Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. You know, he gives another version of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And then he goes on to talk about, you should be so audacious, so bold in prayer, that if a visitor comes to you at midnight and you don't have bread to feed him, You go to your neighbor's house, and even though they just got their two-year-old to bed, you wake up the whole family because that's how bold you're coming for that request. 
I want to challenge us, church, as we, as we seek the Lord for things, it might not be for daily bread because we live in a far more affluent society, but maybe it is. Maybe there's things like that, different provision. Maybe it's for the salvation of, of family or friends who do not know Christ. Might we reflect the boldness of Elijah? Might we even get um, uncomfortable as the Spirit leads in our prayer life, seeking for, of course, not our will to be done, but for the Lord's will to be done? Finally, second subpoint for this section is that God alone can provide for our greatest need. The point of, of this text and its surrounding context is that God alone is a true God, and he alone can provide. He does that, like I said earlier, by setting everything up against him for Elijah's provision, for the widow's provision. But then he goes to the extent of showing that he alone has a power over death. Not other gods, not other magicians, not other men, even though this has been tried in civilizations past. Throughout the centuries, different civilizations have tried to discover what is commonly known as the elixir of life, some potion that could extend one's life or even offer immortality. Uh, the Chinese civilization, very interesting, they've been the ones that have maybe put the most work into this. Uh, second century BC, Qin Shi Huang was the first emperor of United China he sent an alchemist named Xu Fu with 500 young men and 500 young women to the eastern shores of China to see if they could find this, this famous elixir of life. Well, as, as you guessed it, they, they came back empty-handed. This emperor wasn't satisfied, though, and so he sent Xu Fu out again, this time with 3,000 young people. Well, this time they never returned. Rumor is they found Japan, uh, if you asked Eldon, he might tell you that they found sushi and decided not to come back, right? Take your theory. In, in years following, they kept on working on this. Alchemists sought to develop some sort of potion with, with precious metals that would provide them with life, uh, metals like jade or, or liquid gold. But the only thing they succeeded in doing is actually leading Chinese emperors to an earlier grave as Actually, research is confirmed through finding levels of mercury in the tombs of these uh, rich, well-known Chinese emperors. As hard as we might try, we do not have the power over death. God alone does. But here's the thing. The widow's son, you know, God, or Elijah, raised him from the dead, but then he still went on to die, right? Whether he was 70, 80, or 90, he went on to die. But the thing is, he and each one of us, we have to prepare ourselves for the afterlife. Each one of us will exist actually for eternity. But what matters is that we're ready for either life or death after death, and Jesus alone is the one that can prepare us for the afterlife. 
You know, the widow is onto something in her accusation of Elijah. When her son dies, she comes to him and says, have you brought my sin to remembrance by killing my son? Now, we do not serve some, you know, some capricious, punitive God who delights in causing our evil. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Jonah 4.2, where Jonah declares that God is a gracious and merciful God, abounding in love, slow to anger, relenting and sending calamity. God loves us and wants the best for us, but our sin deserves death and death eternal. Romans 6.26, the wages of sin are death, and each one of us is guilty. But it is only through Jesus Christ that we can have forgiveness of sins and that we can have not just existence after life, but life and life with him, life eternal. Because he paid the price for our sins on the cross and then demonstrated his power over death in the most incredible way by himself raising from the dead. Several hundreds, of year, several hundreds of years later, after our story in 1 Kings, we see another resurrection story in the New Testament where Jesus raises Lazarus. And in the middle of this story, Jesus makes a powerful proclamation to Lazarus' sister in John 11, verses 25 to 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In this scene, Jesus demonstrates his power over death, but also his power over eternal death and his ability to grant eternal life. So if you're here this morning and you don't know where you are headed after death, Let me tell you that there are only two options, eternal punishment in hell or eternal delight in God's presence in heaven. And only faith in Jesus, repentance of of sin and faith in Christ will allow us to spend eternity with him. So would you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And for those of us who who have made Jesus our Lord and Savior, would each and every day, would we keep this in mind that God is able to provide all of our needs, both here on earth and more significantly, provide for us eternal life in heaven after this life. Let's pray to close. Father, thank you for incredible stories like this in scripture about your provision. Thank you that uh, you love us so much, God. Even though we might experience needs uh, of different kinds here on earth, uh, you're so faithful to provide for us and, and love to do so in ways that grows our faith in you and our trust in you. Father, would you, would you help us to trust you more and to depend on you for each and every day, um, both for this life uh, and for the eternity that is to come. We love you, Jesus, and pray all these things in your name. Amen.